Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Okay. Now, um, the history of redemption, like the history of creation, begins with God speaking. God speaks to Abram, and tells him to do what? To go. To go. Now, his going involves what? Leaving. Leaving what? Country and family. Yes. That would not be so easy. You know, does, do his people have cell phones for him to call and you know, check up on him? You know, is there going to be a jet for him to come back every other weekend? You know, I mean, he's calling to just ruthless abandonment of everything he knew. He's leaving the world that's secure and that's settled and going where? Somewhere. Yeah! To the land I'll show you. Just come and go and I'll show you when we get there. So you're leaving everything that gives you stability, everything that you're familiar with to just sort of launch out. God just says, I'll guide you. So what does that take on Abram's part? Faith. Faith. He had faith in the very beginning here. God never said that life's going to be easy. But you know, a lot of times when we're pushed out of our comfortable surroundings, that's when our faith has opportunity to grow. When we face challenges, when we have to give up our security blanket and the things that we're familiar with and the things that we feel like we're in control of and just have to trust in the Lord and depend on Him, sometimes that's a real blessing for us. So that's a very challenging beginning to this order. But God doesn't just give him orders. God promises him blessings. Now we usually divide the promises to Abraham in how many groups? Three. Three. We call them the land, nation, seed. Yeah. But we're not going to divide them into three parts in our study, since everybody does that. <laughs> we're going to look at how many parts there really were. <laughs> so look at verses 1 through 3, and let's see if we can come up with 
what the promises were. In verse 1, what's the promise? Well, it refers to a land that he would show him. Yeah, and that he's going to go forth to the land. So there's going to be a land for him. Now we'll learn more in in 12.7 that it'll actually give the land to the descendants. But there, there'll be a land. That's one of the promises. What about in verse two, in verse two? What uh, what what all what promises does he make? Great nation. All right. So there'll be a lot of descendants. A great nation, and I'll bless you. He is promised to be blessed, to, to, to be blessed by God, and I'll give you fame. I'll make your name great. That's ironic because the builders tried to do the same by their own strength and wisdom. They wanted to make a name for themselves in 11.4. They got a name, all right. <laughs> Wasn't quite the name they were looking for. Much better when God gives us a name than when we seek a reputation for ourselves. So God promises to make his name great. And what else in verse 2? Now what's the difference between saying, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing? It's like he'll use Abraham to bless other people. Exactly! You'll be a blessing means you'll have the opportunity to serve and bless other people. Not just, I'm going to bless you, but you'll be a blessing to those you're around. And then in verse 3, what promise does he give him? So what is that really saying to Abram? What's God promising in that? What will that do for Abram and his people? Protection? Yeah, absolutely. Gives them protection. Um, Genesis is going to illustrate these principles. We're going to see times when God blesses those who were favorable toward Abram's family and he punishes those who were not. Um, the groups who are well disposed to Abram and his descendants will prosper and the others don't. Uh, so basically, God's going to treat other nations the way they treat Abram and his descendants. That's pretty amazing. And then what's the last promise in verse 3? In you, all families of the earth, earth will be blessed. Alright, somehow there's going to be a universal influence uh, 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 over over every over every family uh, of the earth, and of course, I think that was talking ultimately about what God does in Jesus. That through His descendant, through Jesus, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, if we look at it this way, how many promises did we come up with? Seven. Are you surprised? <laughs> well, it's kind of what you expect in Genesis. And every other book in the in the Bible. So, uh, but I do think there are these seven promises here. You know, the land, the great nation, the blessedness, the fame, your name great, the opportunity to serve and bless others, the protection, 
I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and the universal influence, all the times of the earth will be blessed. So there's really seven promises to Abraham when it's all said and done. And I don't think we had to contrive to do that. <laughs> you see a lot of blessing in this. You see, Abram is blessed that Abraham is a blessing to others, that those that bless Abraham will be blessed, and that all the families will be blessed in Abram. One thing you see in that is, why did God bless Abram? To bless others. Exactly. You know, he is not blessed just so he'll be a blessed person. He'll bl- He's blessed in order to be a blessing. Which is exactly why God does things for us. When God gives us something really cool, he doesn't intend for us just to sit on it and enjoy it and revel in it. He intends for us to use it, to pass it on and to bless others with it. That's what he's saying here. So really, Abram is not so much the recipient of God's blessing as he is the agent. He's passing it on to others. Comments and questions on those first three verses. Alright, in four, what does Abram do? (coughs) What the Lord said. Yeah, great attitude on his part. You know, if you're really a man of faith, and God says to do something, you'll do it. Um, How old was he? 75. How old was he when Isaac was born? About 100. And how old was he when he died? Anybody remember? 175. Now think about that. He lived 75 years with his father. 25 years with neither a father, his father or his son, and then 75 years with his son. Now that's kind of Abram's life. 75 years with his father, 25 years with neither, and 75 years with his son. And uh, you see where he went. You know, he came to the land of Canaan along with Sarai and Lot, and uh, they went uh, to Shechem and then on to some other places. And uh, God appeared to him and tells him in verse 7, To your descendants I will give this land. So if it wasn't clear already in verse 1, now it is. Abram's family is eventually going to gain this land as an inheritance. And then what did Abram build? Now contrast that with the famous builders of chapter 11. What were they building? And a... Building two things. Remember that? Uh, 11-4. A city and a tower. So, they build a city and a tower. Abram built an altar. In fact, as you look on... What does Abram build for himself to live in? A tent. A tent, yeah. You know, 
the only permanent structures that Abram seems to have left behind were altars. He lives in a tent, he builds an altar to worship God. That tells you very much what Abram's priority was. Worshiping God, not where he lived. And he uh, proceeds from Shechem to Bethel and, uh, and so forth. Um, I believe, you can, I haven't done an independent investigation of this, but I believe Bethel is the second most frequently mentioned city in the Old Testament. <laughs> Behind what? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, of course. So Bethel's a key, key place. All right, coming to questions uh, through verse 9. Good question. We know Lot's father had died, so maybe that's a reason Abram felt responsible for him. I don't know. Maybe he had almost adopted him. There are some, uh, I read a commentator or two that argued that that was wrong on Abram's part. He wasn't told to take Lot with him, and that's why he got in so much trouble. (laughs) But I'm not at all sure that's right. I think, you know, that's probably more a preaching point than it is uh, something that, that we can derive from the text. Other thoughts? So he built an altar. Uh, I was just looking back. Noah built an altar. Do we maybe assume Cain and Abel built altars? Perhaps. Uh-huh. Okay, so this is not a new thing. No. Other comments? Well, you know, so good to have a man of great faith, but even men of great faith sometimes doubt. So 10 to 20. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and it will come about when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake. And gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here's your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. Well, (laughs) what a a story. Where does Abram end up? Egypt. Egypt. Was that where God wanted him to go? That wasn't the land he showed him. Why does Abram go to Egypt? 
Yeah, because of famine in the land of Canaan. I'm not at all sure Abram was supposed to have even gone. I don't think this was the land God showed him. Um, it's almost like he walks right through the land of promise and right on out of it. You know, uh, he left the land of promise. Um, and what do you see in Abram in this story? What are some things that are troubling to you about what he does? Well, he lies. That's one thing. What does he lie about? Sarah. What does he say about her? Yeah. Why was he saying that? Save his own neck. Well, what's he thinking? Why is it going to help him to say Sarah is his sister? He won't look like competition. Yeah, she's a beautiful woman. And if they know she's married, who's to say they won't bump him off to get her? How old was she, by the way? 65. 65 plus. Made him last longer back then. <laughs> Anyhow, he thinks she's a beautiful woman, and evidently the Egyptians thought so too. Um, so he's he's really not being honest. What else do you see that's worrisome about Abram here? It's kind of like he, did he realize what would happen if, you know, he was worried about getting knocked off if they thought that he was her husband, but he wasn't too worried about them taking his wife. <laughs> yeah, hello! <laughs> you know, what happens to Sarai? She becomes Pharaoh's wife? Yeah, kind of like in the harem, perhaps, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> who's protecting her interests? Doesn't she have a husband who will defend her? I mean, you know, he's treating her like, you know, the decoy so he can get free. You know, willing to sacrifice her to save his own skin. That seems very selfish and not very gallant to me. Is there anything else that bothers you about this? He accepts all the stuff they're giving him? Like. <laughs> <laughs> That's one, one good point, yeah. He's using his own strength. He's using himself and using what he thinks will work out for the good to benefit himself instead of putting his trust in God. Exactly. That is as big a root of this as anything is. You know, God has made him the promise. He'll give him this land. He'll be with him. He'll bless him and all that. But there's a famine. And, and, well, I mean, God told him to be in this land, but, I mean, how is God going to fulfill the promises through Abraham if he's dead of starvation? So Abraham has to give God a hand here to help him out with the promises. That's, that seems like the mentality. Total lack of trust and faith. Relying in himself and not on the Lord. Did the Lord tell him to go to Egypt? Not as far as I can see. He didn't have any business in Egypt until the Lord told him to go. So what does that tell you when you see these failures of, you know, attitude on Abram's part? 
do you learn from that? Well, he demonstrated great faith earlier, and then he later doesn't. So what does that tell you? He wasn't perfect. There are men who do very well in one test who fall flat on their face in the very next test. You can't really count on having strong faith today to tide you over for the challenges of tomorrow. And you really learn that even God's greatest men of faith had moments of distrust and created some real problems for themselves. It's kind of like that disclaimer they, they give with uh, advertising stocks. Past performance does not guarantee future. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. And what ends up happening here? Cursed someone who cursed Abraham, sort of. Yeah. Strikes Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. And somehow Pharaoh finds out what the cause is. And what does Pharaoh say to Abram? Why'd you do this? Yeah, what did you think you were doing? <laughs> you know, why'd you tell me she was your wife? Why'd you say she's my sister? You know, I, I took her for a wife. I mean, he was lied to. These plagues are occurring against the Egyptians, but he didn't know any better because he thought Abram was actually being honest with him. I wonder how it felt to Abram to be rebuked for lying by a pagan king. Who's supposed to be being the blessing? Not working out so well at the moment. Instead of bringing a blessing to others, he brought a curse on the Egyptians because he didn't trust the Lord, because he was self-centered, and he was dishonest. So we need to learn to trust the Lord and only do what he tells us and be honest. Because this was really a black spot in Abram's otherwise faithful life. Doesn't he do it twice? He does. In chapter 20 he'll do it again. And Isaac? Does it in chapter 26. So what do you learn from that? <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. How many times are the errors of the father repeated by their sons? And you learn that sometimes we don't learn our lessons very quickly. You know, we may turn around and fall the very same place where it hurt us before. Shows you that, uh, half-truth is also a lie. Because mm-hmm. she was his yeah. sister, half-sister. Yeah. Good point, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Saying she's my sister is really not quite the right description of the relationship. <laughs> you know, she may be his sister in some senses, but that's, that doesn't really, not really the right way, right way to introduce her. 
Think about this. Have you noticed parallels between this story and the Exodus? What does this story start with? Because of a... There's a famine in Egypt. So they go down to live in Egypt. Sorry about that. Got that again. There was a famine in Canaan, so they go down to live in Egypt. What, what's, what's so big about Egypt, you know, when you have a famine, do you suppose? Fertile land. Fertile land and the Nile. The, the generally, you know, flooded and uh, helped them. Um, then there was an attempt, um, or there would have been an attempt to kill perhaps the males and save the females. That's what Abram was fearing. Then there were these plagues that came on the Egyptians. And then, you know, Abram was enriched by the Egyptians. The Lord delivered him. Pharaoh told him to leave. And he journeyed to the Negev, which is basically where the Israelites went. So, it's kind of interesting. It's almost a foreshadowing of what happens with the Israelites in the Exodus. My comments and questions through uh, chapter 12. Egypt kind of seems to be a bad place to go. Like, <laughs> like I know, like, I, I don't know, you're saying that maybe it was bad here because we don't know that he was told to go to Egypt. And then, like, I was thinking about with Jeremiah's time, didn't they try to go, they went to Egypt. They did go to Egypt, to yeah. Egypt no, they weren't. So I feel like Egypt is just negative and you're not supposed to go to Egypt. <laughs> Yeah, turning to Egypt oftentimes meant turning to, you know, human solutions and not trusting the Lord. Good point. Other comments? It seems like the text describes Sarah as his wife more frequently here than in other places. You know, he said that she's his sister, uh, but in verse 19, you know, caused great plagues because of Sarah or Sarai, Abram's wife. And, uh, and then Pharaoh said, here is your wife, take her and go. And, and they sent him away, he and his wife. Yeah. Well, I bet when Pharaoh said that, he might have emphasized that. You know, now then, here's your wife, take her and go. <laughs> so much for being his sister, crying out loud. <laughs> I wonder why Pharaoh didn't have him killed soon. Well, um, he seems more concerned with avoiding the plagues. I don't know if killing Abram would have avoided the plagues from God. That's true. Well, you wonder how he, you know, exactly what what let him know this. You know, did God appear to him and explain to him, hey, these bad things are happening because of this? Yeah, we're not told, but yeah, maybe something like that. How many comparisons are there between this and Egypt? Oh, I wrote eight. Do you have them all? Not seven. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, I, I got carried away with myself, didn't I? Should never have done that. Yeah, one of those must not be for real. <laughs> this pharaoh has a lot softer heart than the other pharaoh. Yeah, he does. You're right about that. He didn't take 10 plays. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. He was a little quicker study. 
could have been dead, it doesn't say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but, yeah that's true. It might have been. All right. Other comments and questions? What are your parallels again? Famine in the land. Go down to sojourn in Egypt. Attempts to kill males, would say the females. The plagues on Egypt being enriched by the Egyptians. The deliverance from the Lord. Uh, Pharaoh kicks them out. Then they go to the Negev. Anything else? All right. Well, we got a problem between Abram and Lot and their herdsmen. So let's see what we can do with this. Chapter 13, verses 1 to uh, 13.